Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Happy Nintendo Month, everybody! Thanks so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Uh, if you can't tell from what we're playing in with, we have something incredibly classic to share on the podcast And long today. overdue, right, Will? Yeah, absolutely. Um, fans of our show will know that since, I think, 2012 or 2013, one of the first few years we started doing this show, um, we've kind of made it a tradition that every November we like to take the whole month to focus on Nintendo, Nintendo composers, Nintendo franchises, Nintendo titles, uh, because of their importance to the legacy of video game music, the continuing legacy of video game music, but also because, you know, honestly, we're just such we're fan big fans. And a big part of why we started this podcast was to celebrate the music of Nintendo games and Nintendo composers. And I can't think of a better way to start off this year's Nintendo month than by looking at The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. We should have honestly spotlighted on this soundtrack years ago. It's kind of embarrassing that it's taken this long, but in any case, we're finally doing it today. I want to mention, you guys can probably tell, I do have a sore throat, so I'm going to try my best to get through this episode, so I apologize for my voice. Um, But yes, very glad to finally be doing this spotlight. Will, what are some of the reasons why maybe we dragged our feet so long on focusing on this very unique Zelda score, do you think? Well, you know, we were talking about Majora's Mask a couple weeks ago when we were doing our Halloween episode because we actually played that really wonderful atmospheric and kind of sad piece of music that plays um, in the sort of final hours when the sun, when the moon is about to, you know, crash into the world. It's it's gorgeous. Uh, But, you know, Majora's Mask as a game it's kind of become this like celebrated cult hit because it's a sequel. It's a sequel to one of the most beloved games of all time, Ocarina of Time. Mm -hmm. And it's a direct sequel, which is something that the Zelda series hadn't really explored in a mainland and, in a mainline entry, meaning that it's built with the, not only the same engine and mechanics, but literally it's a continuation of the same Link's story. Takes and so place months after, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap. Quite a bit of the music from Ocarina of Time does show up in various forms in Majora's Mask. But I think, you know, aside from the mechanical similarities, tonally, the the games couldn't be more different. Majora's Mask is a lot darker, and it's a stylistic departure, I think, as far as the game the game's form and structure and the music especially one of the reasons i think we didn't touch on it because obviously we have no shortage of love for koji kondo um, but so much of what makes majora's mask unique is the abundance of atmospheric and complex music that Koji Kondo yeah. explores in this score. Um, fans of Ocarina of Time will be familiar with all of his really creepy and interesting and eclectic sounds of the various temple themes. There's some really horrifying stuff. There's some really fascinating stuff. There's some funny stuff. It's yep. it's very worldly. And Majora, Majora's Mask sort of takes that Um, template to the next level and I think one of the reasons why we struggled to look at this score it's pretty massive it's it's equivalent to a lot of you know Final Fantasy scores or other RPGs where it's just a really behemoth score and also I think talking about that kind of music the really textural atmospheric stuff you kind of need to play the game and have the context well and that that brings us to this playlist today so you were trying to approach this playlist uh, in a way that suits 
this episode. So can you talk about how how that's happening here? So there's a lot of music that didn't make this playlist that, like, I guess, how would you describe the choice of this playlist? Yeah, so I think when people think of the music to Majora's Mask, personally, and maybe this is just my perception, but I, I think, you know, I'm not the only Zelda fan that would have this feeling that so much of the mood of the game, that darkness, that twisted, creepy, evocative, to me, I just think of the color purple and just there's a mm-hmm. there's a general moody darkness to it that... Um, I think potentially overshadows so many of the iconic classic Zelda staple pieces that exist in this game and some really fun music that, you know, sits on the shelf with so many of Koji Kondo's, you know, fun, catchy VGM pieces because this soundtrack is so dense and so much of the music that you experience in game is very moody and textural. Um, I, I tried to focus actually on more of the melodic stuff today since Mm -hmm. that's the thing that's easier to play and discuss in a short form i wanted to give you know shout out to all of the incredible textural stuff and not to say that everything we're listening to is just the tunes and the jingles yeah um there there's definitely some beautiful evocative compositions on today's episode well i look forward to diving in um it's it i will say it's been a long time since i've listened to this whole score it's been many years and so i look forward to this little crash course today with will we heard termina field playing in that was a great choice and will do we have any tracks on this playlist that are definitely composed by minigishi so we have one piece of music today composed by minigishi cool Uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago but this really this soundtrack sort of marks the end like final fantasy 9 this is sort of the last solely composed koji kondo score again toromini wrote a couple compositions but when you look at the breadth of the music koji was doing you know 99 percent of it and i think this is the game that burned him out which is maybe another reason why we haven't spotlighted on it i think that fact makes it sort of a bittersweet thing to look at but i'm just so excited to dig into everything here today let's do it uh the next track that we're gonna play is intro woods from Majora's Mask. Let's take a listen. Man, Koji Kondo is unlike anyone else, is he? Uh, This is Intro Woods from Majora's Mask, and this is, of course, composed by Koji Kondo. I think both of these tracks do a good job of setting the stage for what we're going to get musically. It's really a treat to get Koji's music when he's going for something that is kind of creepy and evocative and uh, a very specific mood. And I think to this point in his career, not something that he had a lot of opportunities to do, 
um, I, yeah, it's, it's a real treat. I, now, in 2023, we've seen so many different games and moments in games when he's composed in styles like this. Um, but I think in 2000, I mean, how many times before this, you know, did we hear him go for something like this? It wasn't it wasn't very often, but man, does what he I nail think this. Is cool, what I think is cool is, to me, this feels like on the heels of um, definitely Ocarina, but also Star Fox 64. Yeah, um, it reminds sort of me a lot of that, palette. too. Uh, it's it's such a brilliant composition. One thing I have to mention, the version we're playing here today is the soundtrack version that yeah. loops this opening string theme. Which is uh, nice. In the actual game, it, it scores a particular cutscene, so it transitions into this other kind yeah, of music. Yeah, that lone string Link note encounters is, the skull is so effective, but yeah, it does definitely reminds me of Star Fox 64. Just yeah, really cool how he plays with that. Yeah, the way he gets, I think what's so, what I've always loved and been so fascinated about this is to me this is shows you how Koji would score a film, um, because he, the thing the whole thing plays like a piece of music. It's it's sort of scored through. It's not hitting specific beats, but the way that he accompanies the images, you know, that harp, which he sort of established to represent fairies and represent you know um navi in the previous game well a big part of the impetus of this story is link searching for navi so it's like meant to put that idea in the player's ears um but i i also love the way he uses that high lone string note but contrasts it with these shifting major oh, the harmonies chords. are There's so all, wild the harmonies that are moving all over the place tritone shifts median shifts i love him and in it's, this it's style. the kind of harmony that sounds very filmic it sounds very moody but keeping that constant string note creates all these interesting like almost polytonal dissonances and it's it's yeah. that perfect balance of it's it's complexity but it's achieved in a simple way that the ear has time to process and and be affected by all right next on our playlist is majora's theme composed again by koji kondo here we go You guys listening to Majora's theme from, obviously, Majora's Mask. The soundtrack is so unique. There really is no other score like it. There's so many things that it combines. It's it's creepy and quirky and fun and funny and weird and catchy and, like, I don't know. There's just so many things that come together in a way that I don't think any other score quite has. This well, is great. Well, and I, I think Majora's Mask is a game 
sort of opened up uh, possibilities for another generation of Zelda. Yeah. And that's why I think it's sort of a perfect fitting send-off to Koji's sole authorship as composer across a score because I think he holds it together. His taste in that blend of earnestness and silliness and really eclectic senses of folk music from around the world and a western filmic approach, quasi-classical, old medieval sounds. It's just a, a blend of everything. And as we're going to hear, you know, new wave bossa nova and mm -hmm. all kinds of, you know, jazz fusion. And it's it's very eclectic, like a lot of so eclectic. Music is. This theme, I think, is probably... I would say maybe one of the most important in the entire game. It represents Majora's Mask, the titular Majora's Mask, and its connection to the character of Skull Kid, and it's sort of central to the lore and the the thing that makes this game unique and its story distinct. And mm -hmm. Koji's talked about before that he really was trying to get a feeling of a Chinese opera. And particularly, you hear it in that percussion, in the way in which it's not locked into a particular tempo, getting faster, getting slower. Um, but it isn't just you know, a Chinese opera pastiche. That, that's what I love, is there's, there's aspects of that, yet it, I think this is his attempt to create something that sounds, um, in no uncertain terms, exotic, in something that sounds foreign to the listener. And so he's intentionally incorporating lots of aspects of world music and combining them together with a piece of music that has this sort of dour you know, diminished harmony descending. Mm -hmm. It's very dissonant and uncertain. And it's meant to give that player a feeling of sort of a mysterious folk evil that the player yeah. is encountering that feels completely distinct. It's very different than the kind of, you know, sinister evil of a character like Ganondorf. It's it's one of the things that makes the world of Majora's Mask so unique. It's a vibe. It's a very specific vibe and he nails it. We're going to move on now to Clocktown. We're going to play day one followed by day three. Let's take a listen to Clocktown. This is uh, day one here of Clocktown. We're going to hear day three in a little bit here. Um, anything you want to point out about this before we hear some day three? Yeah, so what's interesting about sort of the central gimmick of this hub world is that Link only has a few days before the moon is going to crash in to the world, mm -hmm. bringing about sort of the end of days. It's a very doom and gloom plot. 
Um, but one of the brilliant things that Koji Kondo does, is, as he's sort of explored in you know other game series, is that you have this piece of music that evolves as the days progress, that sense of impending doom grows. So fittingly enough, on day one, there should be the least amount of that sense of dread. Right. But what I think is great about what he does in this composition here is I think he perfectly captures that sense of people going about their day completely oblivious yeah. to the doom that's about there's, to come. There's, there's a certain uncertainty in the dread here though and and that's yes. what's really impressive <laughs> is you can't quite yeah. put your finger on why that is. Yeah, there's, right. so there's just like harmonies where there's a rub between the fourth and the third. Yeah, and it's exactly. like, huh, something doesn't feel quite right. But it's this simple, jovial, plaintive tune. We're going to fade up to what happens on day three, and we Let's hear, hear how it. this music accelerates and gets more dissonant. Yeah, this is day three. So as we can hear, not only is the music faster, the instrumentation <laughs> changes a little bit, but we have that really ominous yeah. low pad chords More that distances. are incredibly polytonal. This sounds like a piece by Charles Ives. Uh, if you're familiar with the unanswered question where you have, you know, polytonality, two completely string textures mm -hmm. unrelated to what the brass and woodwinds are doing, and you're creating that dissonance through these two layers that's sort of what koji is doing here where he's still capturing that contrast of people going about their day yeah. it's faster it's nervous it's almost like they're <laughs> willfully being oblivious like yeah. there's, there's a nervous energy to it but then there's that foreboding that deep in the pit of your stomach almost like you know the stomach acid coming up it's it's a really interesting effect oh, that he man. gets through those layers yeah it's really crazy you know ocarina of time had such a long development cycle and it was delayed multiple times and I didn't realize this but Majora's Mask was a really short cycle I mean one of the reasons maybe for that is that they chose the same engine a lot of the same graphics but it only took a year to develop uh, this game and it's crazy with like how bold it is and how the ideas are so unique and confident um, yeah sometimes you just know what you want to do and you just go for it uh, let's see what we have yeah. next on our playlist um, Mayor's House Council Room Let's take a listen. listening to Mayor's House Council Room from The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. You know, this composition, if you're listening to it by itself, it might not stand out as anything exceptional, but something I find fascinating is that Koji Kondo specifically singled this out as one of his favorite 
pieces that he worked on in the entire Zelda series. And mm. I think it has to do with its context. This isn't a piece of music that plays as background music. This is, again, scoring a specific narrative event. And there's yeah. this moment of these two, in a very Vel- Zelda style, these very broad kind of cartoonish characters having an argument in the mail in the mayor's council room. Mm-hmm. And Koji's very much personifying this in a kind of melodramatic way which I love and to me it sort of gets to the root of what the musical influence is for Zelda and Mario music he, mm-hmm. he's, it, there's something about this that feels like it's going back to the old silent film tradition my favorite this, this thing really about this way of scoring is is the surprising harmony of the B section the ascending yeah. string harmonies are really badass and and just bold yeah You get his sort of quartal progressive rock sensibilities in there. But yeah, and then the A section is just very sort of classical minor. But what I love is, again, he's such a master at emotion and and getting the right mood for how he wants the player to feel. And this piece of music so characterizes these characters arguing in such a cartoonish fashion. But it's not by the music being goofy necessarily. It's the music being so melodramatic so taking itself seriously almost like these two characters so entrenched in their conflict and you're meant to feel you know how pointless that that fighting is i I think it's a a great great, track it it almost feels like a little bit of koji's perspective on politics it's like the closest he would ever (laughs) get to something like that i'm glad i'm glad we played that and i will admit that's been quite a few years since i've listened to that one so it was it's good to revisit a lot of this stuff it's been really fun to revisit all right it's time to move on to astral observatory from majora's mask You guys listening to the beautiful Astral Observatory. Always loved this piece. Love the chord progression. That's my favorite thing about it. Really creative. And I know this might just be nostalgia because I loved the N64, but I think this sounds very good. I think uh, the implementation on this very difficult to work with N64 sound hardware. I I think this sounds really good, really creative, imaginative. Yeah, this is awesome. Well, so much of Koji's brilliance I think in the you know 8-bit 16-bit and beyond eras is the way in which you know the compositions hold together as a piece of music but they mm-hmm. also mean something all of the choices 
are are meant to create and evoke images and set the scene. And what I love here is this texture is so interesting when you think about musically what's happening. The structure of this almost feels like a, like an emo pop song ballad yeah. kind of like it feels mm-hmm. like a Coldplay song honestly the rhythms and the vamp of it there's no real melody it, it's it's it, and this is it's why it almost reminds me of some of his NES music where it's just like an arpeggio or it's just a repeated vamp yet the specific nature of it though that harpsichord kind of incessant it definitely brings to mind kind of a classical you know, erudite quality to it, which there's something about that that evokes like Middle Ages science. Yet that chimey sound, that very sound, it's like a mixture between sounding like a bell and sounding like an old, you know, DX7 synthesizer. And so there's something about that that makes you think of the stars and space and that that juxtaposition along with that harmonic sense that it's like it's wandering and free it's slightly old-fashioned but it's slightly contemporary and new Mm -hmm. and it's sort of minimalist that it doesn't really have a a necessarily a top-line tune other than that long held sort of suspension and those it's it's such a um it's a piece of music that is not the type of thing that I think we would normally associate with Koji Kondo. Cause yeah. I think again, oftentimes he's reduced to, you know, some of like the athletic themes in Mario and he's great at writing that kind of thing. But what I love about a piece of music like this, it's a mood more than anything else. It's, it's, it's emotional. It's tragic. It's beautiful. It's wondrous. It's heartbreaking. And I, I just, it's, it's such an interesting choice because really like the observatory is the thing you're observing the end of the world in a sense, but it's mm-hmm. also capturing the wonder of science and the wonder of the stars and the cosmos. He does a really good and... job of that juxtaposition. Yeah. Yeah. Really outstanding piece. piece. Kind of unsung maybe in some ways underrated. Let's well, going from something unsung to perhaps like the the yeah. hit single, the, this the is, probably the most famous. This this next track we're going to play features one of the most iconic melodies in the entire Zelda series, without a doubt. Let's take a listen to Song of Healing Demo. Koji Kondo, ladies and gentlemen. No one else like him. This mm. is Song of Healing demo from Majora's Mask. And yeah, I'm just so glad we're finally doing this episode. It feels like almost like a weight off my shoulders. <laughs> I know a lot of you have been patiently waiting for years for us to finally tackle this. Um, wow. 
This is a knockout piece of music in the series. It's... It, I think this... One of his best melodies. Yeah, it, it reveals a side of, of Koji's heart, his voice, his soul. Um, I, I mean, it's honestly one of the first things that I think about when I think about this composer, when I think of this series. It's a, a jaw-dropping moment. And, uh, you know, this theme... Uh, if anything, I would say this is sort of like the main theme or the emotional theme of the game. It's it's utilized a lot. It's hearkened to, yeah. particularly in the in the the beginning, um, that it's it's contrasted in all sorts of different um, styles and, and ways. Uh, but again, this is a piece of music that you play on your ocarina, and it's composed with the same set of, I think it's five notes, that mm -hmm. all of the um, central themes to Ocarina of Time were written in. And what I think is interesting is after that game and all the brilliant and creative ways that he uses that you know limited set of pitches to create these timeless melodies here in Majora's Mask I think he creates the very best one it's yes. like this is the epitome sure. of that and I think one of the things that to me is unfortunate about the nature of this game is because they needed to create all these other ocarina melodies I don't feel like any of the other tunes that you play on the ocarina in this game are ever as good as this one or the ones from Ocarina of Time because there really is a finite amount that you can I mean do how with could anything be as good as this one to be fair I mean this is just but the fact magical. that he got to this after creating all of Ocarina of Time score is just such a testament and it's it's almost like Zelda the essence of Zelda distilled to a point that's mm -hmm. this piece of music and I love the sensitivity of how he programmed it for that piano taking those times for rubato pause and it really sounds like it's performed I don't know if you were thinking of a track of the week I can't imagine this not being that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of goes without saying all right track of the next track on our playlist uh, we have is Jungle Cruise uh, this is a great one I think uh, if it'll definitely bring to mind memories of the merry-go-round from Mario 64 or some of the mini game music from yep. Ocarina of Time. This is just a, a classic sort of fun calliope, almost source music piece. Let's do it. Tambourine players having a blast. This is Jungle Cruise from Majora's Mask. Yeah, very reminiscent of uh, the Mario 64 merry-go-round theme. Reminiscent of a lot of his um, kind of carousel-esque music. Yeah, I, well, do you think that this kind of music in media, I mean, it, this isn't a big shock to say this, is, is kind of um, maybe not respected? It's kind of considered just filler or just considered silly kid music 
Yeah, well, I think it gets to a, an important distinction of how the context around how we experience music. And I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot before, that there are so many societal, cultural markers when we engage with a piece of art that tells us how we're supposed to engage with it. For instance, like, you know, we've talked about before, the, the kind of... 50s 60s light jazz music that plays in it's always sunny in philadelphia the ironic way in which that sort of old-fashioned classy elevator music juxtaposes with these kind of trashy you know philly scumbags is like part of the, mm -hmm. the humor of that show but it also suggests that that music is not meant to be taken seriously that's light filler background music and that's a context that we've culturally imposed on the music there's nothing in the melodies the orchestration the arrangements are wonderful and they're as detailed or interesting as any great broadway show tune of that era which we would engage in a totally different context and so i think this type of music because of the history of you know calliopes and there's this association of lightness of of triviality that i think it in kondo is doing that intentionally he's trying to bring all that baggage along with it because it's part of the fun of playing a video game but there's something meta here where it's almost like a game for the characters within the game. And I think yeah. that was something he was fascinated with starting in the N64 era was the idea that like, I think it's part of what made it feel real in the same way that he contrasts that merry-go-round theme in Mario 64 with the creepy atmospheric music of the level. It, it, it feels like a next, a, a new jump forward in gaming. The fact that like, there's that sense of I'm in the real world and now I'm in a game within the game that there's there, there's something about that that I think he's fascinated by and using this yeah. kind of simple light calliope music to to create that that feeling of, you know, frivolity within the world of this. Game. He's explored it a few times, that's for sure. And it's always super effective. Um, let's see. Next, we have on our playlist very short jingle here. It's Get Sonata of Awakening. So beautiful, so koji. Um, Will, do you think some of these shorter pieces of music from these N64 games, do you think some of these melodies were particularly inspirational to some of our Hero of Legend stuff? I feel like they were. Oh, completely. And I think the idea of, you know, writing melodies with a, a limited number of notes, but also just the, the way he uses shape and repetition. I mean, the so much of his music is composed like a lullaby, not just the pieces yeah. that are titled lullaby, but that nature that you have a really captivating opening phrase, but then you do as little as possible to it. Repeating yeah, exactly. it verbatim when you can or using it in sequence. It's very accessible on first listen, but that opening gesture is really rich so you don't feel like it's boring. It's not just sort of blasé. Yeah, da 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 is a great 
great opening phrase. It has this huge leap in it. It's very evocative. And then we have this this shift where we start on a major tonality and then go up a minor third and then back mm-hmm. down. It, it it It's not even modal. It, it's a sort of evoking mode mixture. It doesn't belong to just one key. But yet then mm-hmm. he treats that in the most um, repetitious and sort of... Um, well, yeah, I mean, degrees of separation from that. What idea. I love about these types of melodies is for someone, and this might be a lot of people um, unaware that this is only using a specific and small number of notes. You don't want that to be the effect. You want it to still be a really appealing melody. And it, right. and it totally is like you kind of forget um, you maybe the limitations. And that's that's something that goes back to the origins of video game music is you want to forget and transcend what those limitations were. Well, and one thing I want to point... He does that time and time again. One thing I want to point out is his use of a concept deletion within a melody. Mm. Um, and I want you to think about, imagine this melody, if the second phrase had the same number of notes as the first, because we get... Imagine if that yeah. repeated verbatim... And then if you heard it again, it would be tiresome. But there's something about that. It's addition by subtraction. It's it's addition by subtraction. Because, yeah, that that second half, it feels like we're taken to a new place. Yeah, if you imagine this being... If you imagine it being a song with lyrics, uh, the reason why that deletion is so significant, it's that those two phrases likely wouldn't rhyme. So you'd be establishing sort of, you know, ending the phrase with one thing and then having a holding on a word that that it doesn't rhyme with the end of the previous phrase which makes it feel like those two phrases are part of one long line. And I think that's it's it's ideas like that. That's it feels. um so natural about his melodies it's what makes them memorable because they're built out of the same little nuggets of ideas yet it has they breathe in natural places and they have a very satisfying shape to them yes they do all right is everyone ready we're gonna go into the pirate fortress here we go listening to pirate fortress i think that oddly there's a lot of charm and maybe it's just what you grew up with i mean i didn't first grow up with 64 but i did get to enjoy the 64 games 
at a fairly young age. Um, so there's a lot of charm to these sounds for me. I wonder if that's not the case for everyone. I wonder if there's someone that would listen to this and these these fake samples and fake strings and drums, and I wonder if they would just think it sounds crappy. Um, in any case, though, I mean that this is such an effective piece of music. It's I love when I love getting to hear Koji music, kind of creepy, devious background music from Koji. It's always really interesting. Well, and you know the funny thing about this is that you say that, but it still has a very distinct melody. Yeah, it does. Like it's still incredibly more distinct than than any other track, any other composer that would do something like this. (laughs) Exactly. I I think some of it is in the context of uh, you know older Zelda games or something like Zelda's Lullaby. That's like a simple, accessible tune. Here we're getting all these dissonances and. it's his sort of language of quartal harmony, stacks of fourths moving in in parallel. And it's a, a wonderful sound. It's very rich. And it's that sort of like, you know, 20th century classical meets like progressive rock harmony. Um, but there's mm-hmm. a, a really interesting thing just in the, the simplicity of the groove of this that we're clearly feeling triplets. But then he juxtaposes against that those timpani duplets, that sort of polyrhythm. So cool, man! It's a really interesting feeling that sort of it upsets your natural feeling of comfort, which makes this place feel dangerous, and sinister, and ominous. And again, he's so wonderful at contrast, at accomplishing multiple things simultaneously. It's like that the the triplet feeling, the lilt of that suggests pirates, suggests like a jig, suggests that sort of. Um, the fun on the high seas, yet the timpani, th- that sort of straightness of the timpani suggests danger and foreboding yep. and intensity. And again, the way he combines those things so naturally without having a piece of music that stops and completely changes on a B section, it's just layers of these two simple things, but together it creates a more nuanced emotion. Gosh, he's the best. All right, um, we're going to play another Koji track before we play uh, the Soul Minigishi piece on our playlist. This is Giant's Theme. Here we go. So beautiful, tragic, spiritual, simple, very restrained. That's something that you could say about a lot of the score is it's so restrained and, and, and maybe almost humble. And I think yeah. that's something that when I was younger and was listening to this music, I definitely didn't appreciate. I remember maybe the first time I heard a lot of this music, uh, and this isn't surprising, um, 
I just kind of thought it was weird. And I didn't really have a, a lot of positive associations to it. And so I think, you know, it's just taken some time to, to really appreciate it for me. Yeah. I Which think now I do. I, I, everything is about context, too. And I think that's yeah. a big thing for Koji Kondo. So much of his art, it's, it is the music, but it's also the way the music is used to support the images or the gameplay feeling. And he's very much, yeah. you know, Marty talked about this last year, but he has an Andy Warhol-ish quality where he's, he's packaging up and using our existing cultural reference points to create emotional impact. And that's such a fascinating thing when you consider that he can make something like this that is so earnest straight ahead it's sincere like there's no irony to this there's no um there's not a context needed for this to be evocative and emotional in fact it's very restrained and kind of minimalist again it's not like a super um rhythmic catchy melody or anything it's it's a mood Mm -hmm. it's a texture uh but it's done with such taste and craft and elegance that it's like that's so, so contrasted from like the Majora's theme or if you think of a lot of the really creepy stuff that we're not playing, like some of the temple music, there's a lot of really mm-hmm. cool stuff and different surprising music that he leans into. I think it's rare for one artist to yeah, have Yeah, it goes range. without saying, we don't have time to play everything today. So I'm sure there's some favorites of some of yours that we don't have time for. Um, you can always go and listen to them. But something that I love about this piece of music, I think it is sort of a blueprint for future Zelda composers. The the use of, you know, a simple harp arpeggio with strings and with this haunting ethereal voice. Also, if you look at the harmonic progression, the way it starts in minor, goes up a half step, the flat two major, but then it does this like half diminished chord moving up another yeah. half step. And then when that, um, haunting vocal melody comes in, it changes to this sort of heroic but heart- heartbroken hero yeah, know, Dorian progression that feels almost like Ennio Morricone. And the way that this piece develops harmonically, it, it really says a lot. It's so sincere and it's like a great piece of film music. It, it puts a really specific I mean, this emotion. is definitely an underrated uh, Koji composition. I mean, not just talking about from the score, but just from his whole career. I mean, yeah, really... Really awesome that we're finally able to play some of this music. Like, Giants theme, never been played on this podcast before, you know, without a doubt. So, long overdue. Um, We're going to play now a fantastic track from a fantastic composer, uh, and it'll be fun to talk about him a little bit here. This is composed by Toru Minigishi. It's Boss Battle.
such a great boss theme. This is Boss Battle from Majora's Mask, composed by Toru Minigishi. It'll be fun to talk for a few minutes about this composer. I think there's a lot of things in this boss theme. Uh, it's kind of a good textbook boss theme. If you're trying to learn how to compose effective boss music, I think there's a lot of elements within this track that are really important to an effective boss theme. And I think there are times when you can hear boss themes that get a little samey and get a little repetitive to what you've, you know, we've heard before in video games. But that's definitely not the case with this track. I mean, the first thing to call out, a lot of boss themes have odd meters, which this one does, has elements that are in seven. Will, are, are there some harmonic things that you wanted to call out about this track? Yeah, well, I, I think the, the thing that's fascinating about the boss music from Majora's Mask and the pieces that Minigishi did is it just shows how fantastically and how invisibly he can he just sit blends in right Koji's in. score right fluently in his it's style amazing. using the boss music from Ocarina of Time as a reference point. I mean, it helps using that instrumental palette, but he's using some of the same musical techniques, harmonic techniques. It just feels like Zelda boss music. Um, it, it's it, I, I think it's it's so fascinating because when I think of Toru Minigishi and his contributions to something like Twilight Princess, I think of all this wonderful, moody, and evocative melodic material. And his first opportunity on Majora's Mask, you know, he didn't really get to flex those muscles. But what he did show is that he can score the moment in the game perfectly and yeah. he really has a command and understanding of the sound of Zelda music. And I... I I just think it's such a cool story how he got this opportunity to do just a few pieces in Majora's Mask, but he really knocked impressive. Him out of the park. Yeah, he absolutely did. Fits right in here. Let's move on to the next track we're going to play today. This is Cremia's Wagon. really charming piece of Americana throwback music. Cremia's Wagon, uh, composed by Koji Kondo from Majora's Mask. Yeah, it's really fun to play some of these tracks that I kind of forgot about, honestly, from the score. This is not one that I, I first think of. I don't know if it, it is for you, Will. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool to get <laughs> sides of this score that are, are very contrasting to the overall vibe that I think of. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode, is I think there's so much wonderful stuff that gets overshadowed by the yeah. general sense of what the mood of the game is. And all that stuff is great and interesting and, mm -hmm. um, you know, worthy of discussion, but I feel like it gets discussed a lot. And things like this are kind of left on the bone. 
something that's interesting, motivically, melodically, is this feels like almost a, a derivation on the horse race music from Ocarina of Time that actually gets brought back here. The ba 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 Yeah, it does. Ba 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 It's in the same general palette, same chord progression. Um, though this has a different melody, it feels related to that. And I think that's so cool. It's fun to see an opportunity where Koji's kind of like expanding upon ideas that he did in Ocarina of Time, but in a different setting. I love whenever he goes for it. He clearly has a love and fondness for Americana, blues music, bluegrass music. I mean, he he evokes so many of those styles in mario all the time but i love his use of that in something like lon lon ranch and all of the kind of horsey ranch music in mm-hmm. ocarina and majora's mask it's it, it it's done with such heart and sweetness um it's it, it's something that it, it feels like other zelda composers have attempted to you know, right in that style in a similar context. I remember there's a piece from Skyward Sword that is is very much like this, but it never feels the same. There's something insincere about it. Like, I, I think part of it is just like Koji genuinely, it's like his love of Latin music or his right. love, whatever genre he goes to, it's like he actually loves it. And so there's something personal that's being expressed where sometimes when other composers do it, not all the time, but it can feel like a little bit of just a throwaway or like it's just an assignment of I just have to do this pastiche where Koji puts so much like heart and soul and sweetness into it. It's like it, it it's mm-hmm. it's more earnest than maybe it would need to be to do the job to push the button that it needs for context in the game. And I think it's what yeah. makes Zelda games feel rich and real in like fully three dimensional worlds, even though it's populated by, you know, a lot of cartoon characters and, you know, broad yeah. <laughs> things. There's a heart and a sweetness to his music that that makes the world feel rich and three-dimensional. It's totally true. And it kind of makes sense why some of that stuff would be overlooked or maybe not discussed as much, but we're glad that we get to do it on an episode like this. Let's move on to the next track on our playlist. It's Tottle and Tail Meet Again. absolute classic in the series ah tattle and tail meet again composed by koji kondo this definitely feels like a piece um that was inspirational to some of the pieces we did in hero of legend yeah it's cool you know in a score like this that is very different from all the other scores he had done up to this point and really (laughs) all of them to come later it's cool that there are still a few moments here and there um when you can make just an archetypal Zelda ballad. It's just really beautiful and emotional and timeless. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's this is 
this is the the reason why people love Koji Kondo. It's like it's, yep. it, it is things like this. It's like the so romantic. To me, this is the sound of Zelda. When people say like, "Oh, mm-hmm. what is Zelda?" I mean, yeah, it's eclectic. There's all these things, but like yeah. this is Zelda the and nothing heart else. Here, you can't deny. Like it doesn't matter who you are. I can't imagine not melting a little bit when yeah, listening to this. Well, it's like touches of Debussy and Ravel, but simpler mm. and more lullaby, yeah. like pop music sensibilities mixed with that. It's it's a really precise area that Koji can zero in on. And, and doesn't God, it make you perfect. feel nostalgic and um, almost like a kid again? There's a, there's right. a childlike wonder to it that just brings you back. Right, and that's you know, different and I, from I could the nostalgia really... for the music itself. It's it's the emotion well, created yeah, it, by the it. The music has that quality because I tried to play this game. I couldn't get very far in it. It just wasn't really a game for me. So I don't have the nostalgia for the music in context. But when I hear a piece like this... The music itself makes me feel like I do. It brings me back, you know, it reminds me of memories that have nothing to do with this game or the score. Yeah, I I mean, again, I think this would be a great piece to examine melodic craftsmanship. Um, the sort sort of story that's told here, what, what it it's something that's enjoyable to listen to and satisfying the first time experiencing it. But it has a really interesting shape, the way it uses repetition. Because we have ya da 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 da, mm-hmm. it goes down the first time, but then we repeat da 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 da. This time, landing on the major seventh is lovely. Doesn't da da da. It's very it's wanting so and yearning. Cool. I love that moment. And then he starts there again and kind of winds his way back down with this very Zelda-y, very Koji Kondo-y sequence. That, Yada, da, 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 da. And the way he uses yeah. like the seventh and third scale degrees as it's descending. It's it's so it's these really specific musical gestures. But so many other composers have been like, oh, I guess that's the sound of Zelda. We'll just take that chord progression. Mm-hmm. Have a melody that's you know the seventh and the third in this descending thing. It, it's it's the way like if you want to sound like Zelda, emulating huh. this these set of really specific pastoral classical. I don't even know what you call it, but th- these kind of harmonic and melodic choices are I think very central yeah. to what makes something sound like Zelda music. So, well, the next two pieces on our playlist. Um, did you make edits of these? I did, um, uh, in basically just so that they would loop. Uh, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of the mu- great music in this game are, you know, they're just like twenty five second, forty yeah. second little stingers, and some of them have multiple iterations. They have versions with yeah. voices, without voices. Some of them actually return in the staff role. So I kind of wanted to just make listenable versions where we could just hear. I love the pieces that. Of music Thanks for doing that, that. Play and loop. This next track. I- <laughs> I always feel like this reminds me of Shin Onigashima. It feels like maybe we're going back to the FDS here in the composition. Uh, all right, this is New Wave Bossa Nova edit for Majora's Mask.
How cool is that? You just, you can't get cooler than Koji Kondo. Oh my god. Amazing. Yeah. Wonderful. It's uh, melodic and mysterious and playful So and evocative fun. and vibey. Uh, it's uh, funny that he could make a new wave bossa nova sound like Zelda, but he does. He and does. part of and, it is the that, use of those notes. This is another thing that you can play on the ocarina. Really brilliant use of this limited sound hardware because he has that that muted guitar sample and then he uses delay to achieve like a a slapback sound which is very reminiscent of of the 60s um sounds pretty dang good i gotta say well and you know the the use of stuff like this is where i think it it does remind me of final fantasy um, you think mm-hmm. of so much of the great music that Uematsu does, you know, of like band music or genre pieces, stuff that's meant to exist within the world. But there is something different about how Koji Kondo does a piece of music like this. And there's something less ironic oh, yeah. about it. And I really, I can't be specific as to what that is. It's something within the composition itself that it's like, even if the context is the same as, you know, would be in Final Fantasy and it's nothing about the quality of the music, but there's just something, there's like a seriousness or a darkness or a, a heartbreak or there, there's something that like Koji Kondo's music has that it it never feels simplistic, even when it's being simple. And I, I can't always point to what it is, but to me, it's, it's an emotional sure. marker that I identify with. It's like something in his spirit that is- You just know it when you feel it, right? Yeah. Uh, We have another edit that Will made. This is Zora Band. Here we go. These two tracks, man, the new wave boss and this, this is Zora band and edit. So cool. And and maybe I'm just a little bit ignorant, but I feel like this music, uh, you know, these two little pieces here, very underrated. I mean, it's just it's just outstanding. Very quirky music, and it's not the style of most of the score. I don't know the context of this, um, but this is outstanding. It's 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 about time that we finally get to feature this wonderful music this is so cool in something uh the reason why i wanted to share it in this context there are two versions of the staff role 
There's the um, there's a staff roll and staff roll alternate. We're going to be playing the alternate version because the the one just titled staff roll, similar to Ocarina of Time, ends up being kind of a medley as we see how the different right. characters in the world have been affected. And this part of what we're hearing now actually comes from the staff roll reprise of, okay, of this sure. material. Um, but I wanted to play the alternate staff roll because it takes that original motif. You know, the, basically the the staff roll starts with this little fanfare and theme and then moves into this medley. And what's cool is the alternate sort of takes that theme and expands upon it a little bit more fully. And I wanted to just get to focus on this Zora band music because what I love is, again, we're here. It's exactly what we were talking about with the new wave bossa, where it's like you're getting the style, you're getting the pastiche, but there's something so Zelda about it. These oh my mysterious God, yeah. notes that he lands on. To me, I was really struck by. I could hear how much this influenced Minigishi and Asuka Oda in Twilight Princess. Like some it's of so the cool notes he's that. landing on. I mean, there's not a lot of, of moments in the Zelda series when you get Zelda jazz, mysterious <laughs> Zelda jazz. But I, I want more of it. Okay, we're going to play a little bit of Staff Roll Alternate. Here we go. I was listening to a little bit of Staff Roll Alternate, and I know there's going to be some things Will would like to discuss about this. I'm just so grateful that we had this opportunity to do this. Um, thanks, Will, for taking kind of the reins on this. You know, I'm a little bit under the weather trying to make it through today. Um, great job on choosing this playlist as well. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for your patience as we finally get around to doing this episode. What a good fitting first of two uh, Nintendo Month episodes this month absolutely you know it'd be fun to do a segment at some point just focusing on koji's temple music for the zelda series that would be some really creepy but also just unique like aspects where he's doing it isn't even just world music it's like music concrete like it sounds like experimental like john lennon yoko ono record experimenting in the 60s like there's some crazy stuff that he does that's really cool especially on the n64 i wanted to focus on the stuff that feels like at the heart and core of what makes something sound like the legend of zelda so um that's kind of was justifying a lot of this playlist to me and i think we did get a good swath of Koji's voice, his eclecticism, but also we got a good being mix. tried and true yeah. to that melodic 
in um, beautiful, earnest heart that he has that I think well, is especially so if you count cool. the play out. So don't go anywhere because this play out is classic to me. This is Deku Palace, uh, again composed by Koji Kondo, and this is just a little taste into the very unique score of Majora's Mask. Again, we didn't have time for everything. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, Last time we had an episode that was chosen by our Discord community. We'll give another plug, another shout out if anyone wants to join that community. You can send us an email, supermercadobros at gmail.com, and we'll give you an invite code. It's a really wonderful community, really loving community there. Um, Yeah, I'm already looking forward to, in a couple weeks, we'll be back with another Nintendo-related episode. Anything else you got at the end, Will? Yeah, I just want to thank everybody again for joining us on another Nintendo month. Um, I know last year we ended up doing four episodes. Um, We're just doing two this year. Part of that is just our lives and and being busy, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that we won't necessarily go back to doing four in future years, but we kind of had this idea and i don't want to spoil it and give it away of doing sort of a dual a two-hander if you will so i mm. uh, won't okay. say too much but that Ooh, just means that right. when we're back spicy that episode will be related to this episode in an interesting way all right look forward to that my name is carl brueggemann and i'm will brueggemann have a great week everybody peace out peace out